0: We come to the part in our service where we dig into the Word. So often when we come to the Scriptures, uh, we simply read them, not realizing that they're meant to be deeply thought upon, pondered, so that the Holy Spirit can speak to us and give us fresh revelation from God. So as we come to the Word this morning, let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just ask that as we come to your Word, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see and hear and understand what you are saying to us, Lord. We thank you that we have this opportunity to have you speak to us. And as we do so, may our hearts worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our final uh, Sunday in the sermon series, A Meal with Jesus. And as we've talked about every week, uh, Jesus had a purpose for coming to earth. There's several verses where it says that the Son of Man came. And this was a title talking about his authority and who he was. Uh, that he was not just a divine God, but he was also born of humans. And uh, so when we look at the scriptures, it tells us that the Son of Man came with three purposes in mind. One, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and be give his life as a ransom for many. Two, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And three... Uh, The Son of Man came from heaven. Um, That one probably being the first, of course. But that's why he he came. But it also tells us that he came with a method. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Um, He came to spend time and rebuild community. And as we finish this series, we have to understand that. So much of what God sent Jesus to do was to restore what had been lost through sin in the Garden of Eden. As we uh, continue on in this this sermon, uh, we want to remember that a meal is, is about breaking bread. It's not just about nourishment. It's not just about our diet. It's not just about those things. Although it's important that we consider those things when we come to uh, the table. But eating is much more so about companionship. It's about relationship. It's about building uh, the depth of that relationship. And even the word companionship means bread together. It's that breaking of bread. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how when we come together and we break bread, We're enacting grace, we're enacting forgiveness, we're enacting hope and hospitality and mission and sacrifice and salvation and redemption, thirst and hunger for God, his presence and his promise. And so often when we think of food, we just think about the food. We don't think about how God wants to speak through that. One of my favorite songs says, every table is an altar. Every table is an opportunity for us to come to God and encounter Him, whether that's just us and our families, or it's us in a wider community. We want to keep this in mind when we come to the table. Every table is an altar. Every table is an opportunity. Every meal is an opportunity for us to encounter God. So often we think of saying grace, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later But saying grace is our only connect point with God during a meal. But the opportunity is for us to, during the whole meal, connect with God and with each other. We've been talking a lot about the context of the meals that are spoken about in Scripture, and particularly in the book of Luke, because that's what we've been looking at. This morning, we're actually going to be looking at Acts And the books of Luke and Acts were written by Luke, and they were written to those living in ancient Greek and Roman culture. Uh, These people were often referred to as Hellenistic or Gentile, as to differentiate them from the Jews. And as we mentioned last week, these uh, Hellenistic people, these Gentiles, had common meals about once a month that were specifically for men. Now Jews, of course, they had common meals as well, the Passover being the most well-known, but there were others. Uh, but within the context of the, the culture that this, these books were written to, they conducted these these monthly meetings. And they were for deep philosophical, political, or religious conversations with a meal centered on bread, followed by a shared cup and discussion. These meals were called symposiums. But there was another type of common meal called syssystia. I probably didn't say that right. But stick with me here. And they were very popular in Crete and Sparta and some of these other Greek places. And they represented mandatory gatherings of members of different religious groups of men and male youths. As you see, all of these meals were centered on the dominant uh, gender and those that would get an education and be in business and all that. Uh, But when it came to the early Christian believers, it was different. They included the women. It tells us in Acts 2, 42-47, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As we look at this text, this is coming after what we talked about last week. Jesus has gone up to heaven. He's promised them the Holy Spirit. And as they wait and they go back to Jerusalem and they wait in the upper room where they had the Last Supper with Jesus, they're waiting for 10 days in prayer. They're waiting for 10 days building deeper relationships. They're waiting 10 days remembering all that Jesus had taught them in the days before. And Jesus told them to go back and wait for the Holy Spirit. And on Pentecost, the, the feast of first fruits, The Holy Spirit comes and he lands on them in fire. And out of that, they go out into the streets and they preach the good news. And 3,000 people choose to accept Christ in that day and follow him. Out of that comes this community, this community, this beautiful community. And this is what we read just a moment ago. It says that they devoted themselves. There's this profound dedication. When you devote yourself to something, there's this profound dedication, a consecration, a setting apart of yourselves, and, in this case, the activities, the practices that are mentioned. These people had an earnest attachment to a cause, to the person of Jesus Christ. They gave themselves fully to him. This word devote literally means to devour. It denotes an eagerness, a passion, a persistence, an enduring commitment. That against all odds, they are taking hold of it completely. They didn't simply decide it was a good idea to do these things or because it was expected of them but they delighted in following Christ in these ways. There was an authenticity to the community that is truly rare, but not unattainable. This picture of community confronts our Western culture of individualism, of consumerism that's wrapped up in the capitalistic uh, political environment that we live in. In fact, so much of of Western culture particularly in the United States of America, particularly in the United States of America, is built on this sense of individual rights. What is good for the person is good for everyone else. But this stands in the face of what we see here in Scripture, particularly in these verses that teach us that what's good for everyone is good for the individual. Now, lest you think I'm promoting some sort of communist or social, uh, socialism uh, thinking, that is not what's going on here. You're, we're talking about three broken political uh, economic systems. This is something completely different. But this is a way of looking at the world. So often, because we are thinking about ourselves, I'm number one. We don't think about what's good for everyone else. But when it comes to community, we have to take into account everyone else. What about everyone else? When it comes to Jesus, are we willing to lay down our rights, our way of living, our way of looking at things for him? And if we do that, then we're able to become the community he so desires us to be. Let's take a look once again at the community and what they were devoting themselves to during these practices first of all it tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching i've always thought this is interesting why the apostles teaching why not jesus teaching well part of the reason it's the apostles teaching is because the apostles made it their own not that they changed the message or they changed what jesus is teaching they owned that it now was their message to pass along that what Jesus had taught them that who Jesus was was so important that it was theirs to pass on to others now there was both preaching and teaching that the Apostles were doing so it wasn't just their teaching but this is a, a way of talking about it see preaching has to do with proclamation of the truth that's something you can easily do at a distance I can speak at you. I can preach at you like I'm doing right now, and I can give you the truth. But teaching's a little different. Teaching has to do with learning and acting in faithfulness on what you're being taught. So often, when we think of learning, we think about learning facts so that we can pass a test. But for us, the reality is the test is life. Are we going to act on the things that we're learning from the scriptures, from Jesus? When we see preaching, we see them tracing the history of the gospel of salvation from the events of creation in Abraham and Moses and the prophets to the present with Jesus. Seeing Jesus and what happened in his life as real historical events, just like the rest of scripture is. They taught these things from beginning to end. And every time we see the gospel preached, they're doing this in the scriptures. In the book of Acts, we see Uh, We see Peter doing this in the verses before this. Uh, We see uh, uh, Stephen a few chapters later doing the same thing. We see Paul doing this on several occasions. When they preach the good news of Jesus, the gospel, they teach it all the way from the beginning, all the way through to Jesus. For us to understand that Jesus is the culmination of history, He's the turning point. That's why our calendars center around his birth. Because Jesus is the most important thing in history. His life is more important than any historical fact or event. But not only did they preach the good news, they taught all that Jesus taught them. They taught them about the scriptures and the kingdom. And when they're teaching, they're mostly doing it in an intimate sharing. The the apostles are passing on this truth to them in dialogue, in conversation. It's not just didactic, uh, where they're speaking at them, but they're doing this in a way that these these beliefs, these truths, are being deeply ingrained in the in the listeners and the learners. They taught them on all the scriptures, just as Jesus had done with them, and. They made practical life changes as the Holy Spirit revealed to them the kingdom reality. We call this repentance, when you turn away from what was before and turn now to what is. This was the first thing they devoted themselves to. Remember, devotion is all about giving themselves completely to it. Do we do this when it comes to the scriptures? When the teachings of Jesus? Have we given ourselves to this? Well, you might say, that's the pastor's job, or that's the missionary's job, or that's the theologian's job. That's why we hire them, so that they can do that. We don't have time for that. We work full-time jobs. We've got families to worry about and kids. But so often we miss the the gravity, the gravitas of the scriptures, how the scriptures have purpose for our life from beginning to end. How they teach us how to live life, how to follow God, how to make sense of our existence. It's key to understand how God has worked throughout history so we can glimpse a picture of how he wants to work today as we follow the Holy Spirit. But this isn't the only thing they devoted themselves to. No, they also devoted themselves to the fellowship of Now, this is what we think of as community, and I'll explain here in a minute. It's not just a a club we get together once in a while, and, uh, you know, we share a common interest. No, this is a fellowship. Think about the word ship, although this really has nothing to do with the word fellowship. But what's a ship for? A ship is for journeying on. I'm using this picture to help you remember the understanding of what fellowship is. Because fellowship is all about the journey. It's about sharing their lives along that journey. Fellowship actually means common life. They were sharing their life in common. This is where we get the idea of community from. Now, what they did is they shared their lives. They shared their stories. Up until this point, they maybe didn't know each other. So they're going back and they're reliving their history of how do they get to this point? Of being a part of this community and they're sharing their stories but more than that they're sharing friendship they paid attention to one another they cared about one another this is hard to do if it's one-sided after a while if it's one-sided the interested party becomes disinterested but they were sharing this together they paid attention to each other They showed genuine interest in one another. They held space for each other and they brought Christ's healing and did so with gladness and sincerity. In the midst of the sharing of friendship, they allowed themselves to be known and truly know others. They shared their struggles, they shared their victories. We call these the Highlands and the Dark Valleys. And they allowed these parts of themselves to be known along the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, if that phrase sounds familiar to you, it's from Psalm 23. This is a psalm about the journey with Jesus. And as we are on the highlands, the victories of life, and things are going well, and reading from green pastures, or we're walking through the dark valleys with Jesus, we're not meant to do this alone. Now we're meant to do this with a fellowship of other believers. See, he's our shepherd, and we are to be a fellowship of the cross and the crown of our king. But it didn't stop here. Not only did they share their friendship, they shared their resources, and they served one another. Let's take a glimpse into this from Acts 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the feet of the apostles. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. As we think about this, this sharing of resources... We have to understand that these continue to be their resources. But as the Spirit led them, they sacrificed their resources for the common good. Nobody was forcing them to do this. They were doing this out of a desire to love one another. It wasn't a government saying, Okay, we're going to take this land from you and we're going to spread it out. And oh, by the way, we're going to put a little bit aside for us. No, that's not how it worked. They gave freely out of their kind hearts because of what Jesus had done for them. And they shared with their brothers and sisters who were in need. Now think about this. At this point, they're way over 3,000 people. They're still adding to their number daily. They may be at 10,000 people by now. A lot of those believers had come from other places for Pentecost to celebrate the meal, uh, to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. And here they are, They've stayed around, there aren't enough jobs, there isn't enough restaurants open, there isn't enough to go around. It's like going to the grocery store and not being able to find toilet paper. And the reality is, those that had money that were in Jerusalem or had been able to get work, they were sharing so that everybody had what they needed. Just enough, maybe a little more. This is what it looks like to be a fellowship, to share what we have with each other. But as with any community, when community broke down, they shared repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. The exception to community working was always, were you authentically a part of the fellowship? There was no place for the self-righteous or the rebellious. You have to understand these kinds of people that were self-righteous and rebellious negated what Christ had done for them. They didn't belong in the community. This is why uh, we see in Acts chapter 5 what happens with a couple that withheld, that said, we're giving everything, but they kept some back for themselves. The apostle's response was, you didn't have to give us everything, but because you lied, about what you were doing, even though the Holy Spirit told you to give everything? That is not what this community is about. There's no place for that here. There's a difference between those who are moving towards Christ and still broken, and those that are in defiance of the cross and crown. If you are part of this fellowship, then you would daily lay down your life and take his life up again. Not your life, but his life. And this way he can build a passionately inclusive community with us. It's not our desire to have anybody outside the community. But we have to be a community that works. That lives in justice and righteousness. So that we aren't damaging each other unnecessarily. We sometimes, because we've been hurt by others, we risk being so reserved that we are actually distant. I've been guilty of this on many occasions myself. And I have to keep going back to the Lord and saying, Lord, I realize you have more for me in these relationships, but I'm withdrawing because I've been hurt. Lord, heal my past hurts because I want to be open to this community. It's got to be, we've got to decide it's time for us to move past being smiley, friendly people to actually being deeply relational? Am I willing to share my story, my friendship, my resources, and actually care about the people in the community of Jesus? One of Jesus's greatest desires for us is that we would truly be for one another. Jesus even prayed this in the upper room on the night he was betrayed. We see this in John 17. Go check it out after we're done here, of course. Like I said, there was conflict in the community. And, and if you look at Acts chapter 6, you see one of the first big conflicts in the community. The uh, Hellenistic widows were not being fed. And so in in the midst of that, what was decided was to choose seven people from among them that would make sure that they got fed, that would serve tables. And this is where we get the idea of deacons from. We won't go into that now. But every time there's a need in the community, God provides ingenuity and creativity to solve that problem. Let's stop living as though we don't have enough and start asking God to show us creatively what we can do with what we have. It says they chose these seven men we full of faith in the Holy Spirit. These are the kind of leaders, servant leaders, God desires for his church. Desires to lead the fellowship. And it says because they did this, because they worked through their conflict, the word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Beyond the fellowship, beyond the apostles' teaching, were the breaking of bread, the meals. These first three things, the the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and uh, the apostles' teaching, probably all were mostly done at the same time, at daily suppers together. Now, the whole church wasn't coming together, but they were meeting daily in people's homes. Specifically, Luke uses this phrase, breaking of bread, the common meals to not only denote the sharing of food but the purpose of the meal was to remember the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and ascension to the throne so they were always when they shared a meal they were always sharing the bread and cup of the Lord's Supper together these two common elements then always had a deeper meaning when they ate together now think about that if you have bread and a drink at every meal And that drink's always wine because there wasn't soda pop back then. And the water wasn't drinkable. Then we have to understand every time they had a meal, they were called to remember what Jesus did at the Passover. What he had done with that last supper. What if when we ate, we always remembered Christ every time, especially when we're with others. How would we look at each other differently? Would it lead us to truly honor and respect the person sitting across the table from us? Would it minimize our need for conflict, for resolution and reconciliation because we were already enacting forgiveness and grace before it got to the need? See, this is why it's so important to share food together. So often during these days, during this modern time or postmodern time, We allow our dietary restrictions to keep us from sharing food. What if some of us that had a wider palate decided to sacrifice for those that can't eat gluten or can't eat meat? Now, I love my gluten and I love my meat, but I am more than willing to eat a little tofu for my brothers and sisters. Can we do that? Or can we at least provide alternatives so that we can join together and share at the table and remember Jesus? Lastly, they devoted themselves to the prayers. Now, a lot of times we think of prayer being singular here, but the reality is, is that this is the prayers. Now, certainly at the meals, they spent time praying together. If you've experienced this kind of community, where you are truly knowing each other and living together. That it doesn't take long for prayer to take place. I can name numerous encounters and experiences with other brothers and sisters where this was the case. And people that are deeply pursuing Jesus, it doesn't matter how long you've known them. This is what takes place. These things, you share the word together. You are together on that part of the journey and share deeply about your stories and and build friendships. You remember Jesus. You share a common table. And prayer is inevitable. But here in this passage, they're talking more than just the prayer that happens at the table. They're talking about the times at the temples. Remember it said when we read that first passage, they were in the temple daily what happened at the table? Jesus said, my temple is a house of prayer for all nations, for all people, not just men, but women, the less fortunate, the poor, uh, the Gentile, the Greek, the Roman, uh, the Iranian, uh, the Persian, I guess, back then. Uh, It didn't matter. Whatever the case, it was for all people. It was a common Jewish practice was to pray at the temple or towards the temple mound three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. Look at Daniel and Ezekiel to understand this a little further. In fact, Muslims actually borrowed this practice of facing Mecca from the Jews who faced Jerusalem, where they were exiled. So the early disciples, being Jewish, continued this practice of praying three times a day. Luke here is passing this along to the Gentile believers. See, they devoted themselves to connecting with God deeply. It was more to them than just saying grace at meals. Forgive me, but saying grace is a watered-down practice of prayers. What if we actually use this time and other special times to come together for prayer and pray for the things that we actually need to be talking to God about? And hearing from him on what would happen we say we believe that prayer is the primary work of God's people but how often do we skimp on this or treat it as only like it is for my private prayer life this really comes from a misinterpretation of Matthew 6 where the English translation tells us to go into our prayer closet it tells us not to pray out on the street But to accurately understand this, the phrase is to go into the inner room or the upper room. A place free of distraction. This practice was not solitary, but free from prying eyes and from pride. I'm not praying to look good. I'm not praying so I get noticed. No, I'm praying to connect with God. It takes us to a posture of humility. And when we go to the upper room or the inner room together, it takes us to a place of solidarity as we are seeking God in one accord, in agreement together. See, the prayers are to be a central part of the community, and we see that here in this passage. Are we coming together and praying together to encounter God? When we devote ourselves to praying together, we are not only enacting community with each other, but we're restoring community with God. There were specific ways that they prayed. Most clearly, they prayed to Abba. They prayed to our Heavenly Father. It is by the Spirit we cry Abba, Romans eight fifteen and Galatians 4, 6. It's without this connection to the Father, there is no prayer. It's the only way true prayer happens. But there's other things that they prayed for. They prayed for the Spirit to come. They prayed for God to reveal himself in signs and wonders and miracles and healings. And he did. They prayed continuously. They prayed for others. They prayed Maranatha, which means our Lord come in Aramaic. They were looking for Jesus to return. Let us pray that he returns. And they kept praying in faith with thanksgiving and obedience. And they saw their prayers answered. Over the centuries, the church has taken a simple liturgy that centered around a table in relationships with God and others and turned it into something of choice and consumption in our culture. Lost is the priority of community in the upper room that brings with it devotion, fellow travelers, and transformation. Instead, we think we can decide what parts to pick and choose when it seems convenient. But do we sense the absence of what could be? Do we long for what is meant to be? The reality is that our expectations of perfect community often keep us from experiencing the authentic community that Jesus has for us with all of its humanity and brokenness, but also that contains the grace and healing and fullness of the kingdom Jesus offers to us. See, community is not a human invention. It is more than our feeble attempts at society. It's not just a social experiment. Community is God's dearest creation. It is only in community that there is the possibility of knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served, celebrating and being celebrated. Because God is community. He shows us that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the oneness of being, He was community. He is community. He creates community. It flows from whom he is. That is why the natural expression of sharing a meal with Jesus is enacting community. God declares that a solitary man was not good. But when Eve was created, God deemed humanity very good. Because of sin, we lost God's ideal of community. It's often held on by a thread throughout the centuries. But Jesus came to restore what had been lost. God reached down from heaven to reconcile us to himself. And Jesus reached out to redemptive sinners and receptive sinners in his grace and forgiveness to welcome us to join him at the table for us to see and experience a whole and healthy community. So what? Let us understand the table is a place to build authentic community. If we're not interested in coming around the table then it's clear we don't have God's greatest creation in mind. Doesn't mean we can always make it, but as often as possible, we want to say yes to community. We can't effectively do our work of pointing people to Jesus unless we are devoted to these kingdom practices as a community. If we're not praying together, if we're not digging into the scriptures together, if we're not sharing our lives, if we're not sharing meals and remembering Jesus then we are not seeing the kingdom. And we certainly won't see people added to our number. People are looking for the authentic. They want to see community. They want to be a part of it and belong to it. The level of our devotion to Jesus will be expressed in how effectively we're enacting community with others. I don't think there's any more to say there. But our role is to build community with Jesus. It's difficult. It's messy, but when you are experiencing it authentically, all of the cost is worth the devotion to Jesus and his fellowship of the cross and crown. It's worth it. In fact, it leaves a taste in your mouth that you have to have again. If you've experienced true community, you're always searching for it. You're always longing for it. You want to get back to that place where we're experiencing Jesus together. There's nothing like it on earth. Nothing at all. This morning, let me leave you with a few thoughts to ponder as we move towards the Lord's Supper. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Where have you allowed your own individualism and consumerism to get in the way of an acting community? How are you doing at devoting yourself daily to Christ Jesus, laying down your own life and taking up his? Are you wait are you waiting with the brothers and sisters for power from on high as authentic community? Just like the early disciples did, they waited for 10 days to see the Holy Spirit come. And as he came, they lived out the community. They lived it out in the spirit. Will you pray with me as I read this verse? It'll be as I read this prayer, it will be up on your screen, and I invite you to pray with me. Now is your opportunity. Now is your opportunity to embrace community. To lay aside your worries, your anxieties, your failed hopes and dreams, and to embrace what Jesus has to offer. Pray with me. Loving Father, in Jesus' name, today I lay down my expectations of community. I recognize that I have often denied the fellowship of the Spirit, of the cross and crown, in knowing you as the one authentic and whole community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I bind up my disappointments and hurts, the rejection and false expectations of others, and my own false expectations, and exchange them for love, service, healing, support, encouragement, and grace through your people today i humbly receive your community trusting you to bring us through conflict and past personal preferences into transformation and closer to you in the kingdom of heaven you have ordained for us amen and amen join us and come in around the table for a meal with jesus
1: I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. For I pass on to you what I have received from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five to 26. In the same way... He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, a relational agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, and as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again.
0: Hopefully you've gotten your elements. You have the bread and the cup. Hold on to those as we work through this. See, Jesus is still saying to us, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. If we go back to where this practice was initiated, uh, we can read it in Luke 22 and Matthew 26. Jesus sent Peter and John into the city of Jerusalem on the night he was betrayed to prepare a meal for him. When they got there, he told them the place was already prepared in the upper guest room of someone's house. And he told them just where to find the person that would lead them to this house. The upper room was often a place where feasts or common meals took place because it was the most spacious room in the house. And this is the place that Jesus chose to share this meal with his disciples. It tells us, Jesus tells us, he was eager to have this meal with them because it was a foretaste of what was to come. He was looking forward to the day when he would have this feast with all those who believe. During the meal, the Passover meal, Jesus, he took and blessed and he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And afterwards he took the cup and he thanked God, and he gave it to them, and he said, "Drink this, all of you. This is my blood, which confirms God's new covenant, poured out for many people for the forgiveness of sins." He tells them, "I'll not be drinking while, uh, I'll not be drinking wine from this cup again until that new day when I drink with you in the kingdom of my Father." This is a miraculous thing. He sent us out to do the same. Like Peter and John, we are to prepare a place for people to eat with and encounter Jesus. We are to be eager to share the meal with them and to tell them about all he has done for us and in us. We are to remember how he was broken, how he bled and died for us so that we might experience the forgiveness and be reconciled to God and each other. To walk out his righteousness in us for his name's sake. And we too are to look forward ahead to the kingdom to come, where as an authentic and whole community, we will share again in the feast with Jesus, face to face, this meal he shares with you. Chapter 11, verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you are to all eat together. May the Lord bless you today. His body
1: broken for you. Let us eat together. his blood shed for you. Let us drink together.
0: Let's close our time of communion with a time of prayer together. Would you join me? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that we can come together as your family, as your expression of the body in the church. God, to celebrate what you've done for us, what you continue to do for us, how your blood has saved us, how you've set us free and made all things new. God, thank you for this time of remembrance around your table in our homes as we join together as a community of believers even being apart. God, that you are the one who brings us back together again and that you will bring us back together for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. As is our practice, every time we take the Lord's Supper, we, we want to remember that his sacrifice is not just for our sins, but for the healing of our wounds. Whether those wounds are physical or emotional or spiritual, Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, provided a way for healing. It tells us in Isaiah 53 that by his wounds, we are healed. And, and this means both physical and physical, and emotional and spiritual wounds. So as we come, I, I just want to pray for us. I know there's several people in our community that are suffering from different things. And if you're tuning in online, you may know of somebody. But we also have a wild, wor- wider world around us of people that are currently suffering from this pandemic. And we want to lift them up as well. So won't you join me with prayer? As you're sitting there watching, feel free to lift up your own voice. And share. Uh, It doesn't matter what the person next to you is praying. Just lift up your voice out loud to God and pray and let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God who shows his graciousness to us and how great you are. Lord, we come to you with our needs. Our desire is that your kingdom comes, that we would know your will. But Lord, we have great need here. Lord, there are those among us that are sick, those among us that are dying. And Lord, we are believing in the promise of your healing. And Lord, we know that the ultimate truth of that promise is the resurrection. But Lord, you will also promise to give us health and healing in our days here until you call us home. And so Lord, we come before you. And as the elders are with us We pray in faith, believing that you want to heal. Lord, you know those who are sick among us, those that need recovery from surgery, that need healing from cancer or uh, depression, Lord, of stomach ulcers and uh, brain uh, deficiencies, Lord. Lord, you know what each person needs. And Lord, as we've named some of these things, we know there are others. Lord, we pray in faith, believing that you want to heal. Lord, we pray for strength for all those that are fighting this pandemic, for the scientists that are looking for uh, a vaccine, for the medical workers and and the uh, social service people that are on the front lines of this. Lord, we pray for all of our public servants. Lord, you know what you're doing during this time and we put our trust in you. But we won't stay down, sit down, lay down and be passive in the midst of this. Lord, we are going to intercede for the sick. We're going to intercede for the families of those that have lost loved ones and pray that they would encounter you during this time. Encounter your healing, encounter your presence, encounter your grace, Lord. That they would know all that you have done for them. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come. It was a delight sharing the Lord's Supper with you, and I hope this brings us all together as community. As we think about what was preached this morning, I want to challenge you with what you're about to see on your screen. See, these four practices we talked about this morning for us at Cross Point coincide with our four values. How are we doing at living them out? As a follower of Jesus, am I making the time to practice gathering, whether that's online or with physical distancing? Am I being deeply relational, breaking bread, including the Lord's Supper, and showing hospitality wherever I am? Two, are we praying together, worshiping and receiving fresh filling of the Holy Spirit daily? Three, Are we learning together, experiencing life change, growing healthy, and making disciples? And four, are we living generously and demonstrating and proclaiming the whole gospel? Now it says on your screen, three circles. That's going to be a tool we're going to be releasing to you very soon. A simple way to share the good news with others. Easy to memorize, easy to reproduce. uh, That you can contextualize to the situation. And as we look at these, I can honestly say there's some things we're doing well and there's some places God wants to develop us in, grow us in. And I invite you to, to be challenged by these things, to live in the tension of them and to ask God to show us how we can do them well, to be authentic community. Because a meal with Jesus always enacts authentic community.
1: Good morning, Crosspoint. Just want to have a time with a blessing and a prayer to close us today uh, with our discussion on community. Uh, I'm right now outside just on the side of my house and seeing cars go by and just reminded about how much community we have all around us. And with that, uh, let's pray and uh, so I encourage you to go out of your way to develop relationships with the people that are around you as we're in this uh walking this path with the coronavirus pandemic and so let's pray we bow your heads father we thank you lord that we are able to develop community lord first and foremost with you in your son jesus christ but lord that we are able to also love others uh, as a reflection mm-hmm. of our love for you and uh, developing community and in developing disciples uh, uh, all for your glory oh we thank you As we close this service today, Lord, we just ask that you meet with each of us in our homes. Give us the strength, the peace as we move forward uh, in in our coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.